The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I'm your host, JP John Paz. With me today, very, very special guest. He is, of course, a WWE Hall of Famer, an ECW Tag Team Champion, WWF Tag Team Champion, WWE Tag Team Champion, NWA, TNA, uh, TNA Tag Team Champion, IWGP Tag Team Champion. My God, he's done it all. You've seen that awesome picture of him holding all the tag belts. He is, of course, Devon Dudley. Devon, welcome to the two-man power trip. How you doing? Hey, man. Good. How you doing? Good. good. How's it going? Like, what's going on in your world? Well, busy. <laughs> I mean, you know, with this new regime with Triple H um, and Stephanie, which I am extremely happy about, I think everyone's happy. And just for the simple fact that we're all happy about what Vince did for 50 years plus. And um, <clears throat> but sometimes with every, how do I say this, with every company, with every new whatever it is, it's always good for a new fresh and new ideas and things like that. And I think Triple H brings that. And, um, you know, we're not discounting what Vince did, like I said, for the past 50 years. But, you know, sometimes you need a little change. And I'm happy about that. But to go back to originally answering it, you know, with all of that going on right now, you know, I guess the responsibility for me has picked up a little bit. And I'm happy for that because, again, I get to do my ideas. And Hunter's, me and Hunter have a very good relationship. Um, him and Stephanie both, when I had my stroke two years ago, uh, I remember Stephanie leaving a message on my answer machine, my voicemail, telling me, um, hey, I heard you're doing well and everything is good with you, uh, but I just want to make sure that you're doing great. I want to hear it from your mouth and not anybody else's. And of course, I heard that message and that made me feel a little special just for the simple fact that she didn't have to do that. Hunter didn't have to do that, but they were very concerned about me. So I guess if you could say that, am I sort of a Hunter guy? Yes. Am I also a Vince McMahon guy? Yes. Am I a Paul Heyman guy? Yeah. You know, all of those guys have, you know, done very well with me, which is why I, you know, love being working for the WWE. Yeah, it's great but with Stephanie and Triple H because it seems like everybody got like infused with energy all of a sudden. Like the ratings are up. You know what I mean? Like everybody, NXT too, the ratings are up. So it's like just by him being there kind of infused this new energy from the fan base. Well, again, that's a good thing. And, yeah. you know, it's it's kind of like when you have a champion for so long and then all of a sudden somebody comes along and beats that new champion and you're going to get the, a huge pop in the arena. And that's always a given, you know, regardless, even if the people don't like the, the opponent or not, you know, if, if there's a title change, people are going to be happy. They're going to cheer for it. They're going to be excited for it. And I think this holds pretty much the same thing like that. You know, we have a new boss. We have a new owner. I want well, owner. I guess you say owner slash the guy in charge. And with that being said, people were happy with NXT Black. Was it Black and Gold before? Yes. And you know, so it was like when it changed to 2.0, people were a little bit upset because it wasn't Hunter's vision. People loved the fact that Hunter took nobodies from an from an indie circuit and made them into somebodies. You know, so I think people were fully aware of what Hunter was capable of doing. 
And I think that's being showcased now. But I also feel that people have to relax and be patient and know that his vision is being shown. But he has to do it in a way where it's not just fuck Vince and his ideas, but it's kind of like, you know, we still have to incorporate, I guess, a little something to not disrespect, you know, Vince and what he's done for the company. But then along pursuing the go ahead with Hunter's vision. Funny, I was watching an interview from 04 with Vince, and he was talking about how Triple H has his own ideas. I mean, this is 20 years ago. He's talking about Triple H's own ideas. He's very smart to the business. So, I mean, obviously, he's a part of the family at that point, but you don't get the idea like, oh, he's going to be running things. You know, this is 20 years ago. So I was like, wow, he even Vince back then kind of had an idea that Triple H would be like a good successor for him. Well, we all knew that during the Attitude Era. Um <clears throat> and it wasn't because he married Stephanie. That wasn't it at all. <laughs> you know, but we just knew um, that when he did marry Stephanie and he did become part of the family and he did become part of creative and all of that above, and he was making decisions, we knew, we all knew that it was going to be Hunter that would take over uh, when Vince left. Or, you know, if unfortunately, if, if something had happened to Vince, it would have been Triple H that came in. We all knew that. We all said that. So it was no surprise to us. It was surprising on how everything went down uh, for it to get to this level. But I don't think anybody was surprised about Hunter. You know, we all knew that if, you know, Vince couldn't do it anymore, that Hunter would be the one next in line. And we were happy about that, him and Stephanie. And I think it shows, like you said, in the ratings. Um, just I just heard on ticket sales alone for WrestleMania next year, the ticket sales have has skyrocketed. Yep. You know, and that's great because there's a like a there's a newfound spark energy uh, within the wrestling business now. You know, and um, I'm very excited about it. And it's not one of those things where I think people are not going to want to know what's going to happen next. People are tuning in, and they're excited about what's happening. Yeah, I think it was 42% up versus last year. And last year, you guys sold, I think, 50,000 tickets each night. So it's yeah. up from then. So it's going to do better than last year. But it was crazy to look like, wow, he sparked ticket sales. Like, And people are just interested. Obviously, WrestleMania is going to sell anyway. But it, it sparked sales where it was up 42% over last year. It was pretty remarkable. Well, I was kind of upset <laughs> when I heard about last year's WrestleMania. And I don't mean upset in a bad way, but uh, kind of a little envious and jealous. Because before last year's WrestleMania, the biggest WrestleMania of all time, uh, even beating WrestleMania one with Mr. T Hogan and Piper. And uh, I was about to say flair <laughs> with Piper. And yep. um, you know, WrestleMania 17 uh, and Houston was basically the biggest and most successful one of that era. And I was a part of that. So to know that I wasn't on the card wrestling last year, or not even a producer because I was home recuperating from back surgery. I was kind of a little envious and jealous. I was like, no, no, WrestleMania 17 is the greatest. <laughs> yeah. Everybody was shot like shocked. It's almost that low expectation, but they're like, oh, we'll see how it is, you know. And then it, it exceeded expectations. Austin wrestled, Cody Rhodes. I mean, it, it, Roman Reigns, obviously, maybe really, really was a great show. I mean, it was, it really was. And it was excited. And I remember watching it at home, like I said, recuperating from back surgery. And I was jealous. I was envious that I wasn't there and I wasn't um, helping to, you know, produce any of those matches because I was home recuperating uh, from all the years of, of bumping in the ring and wrestling. But I was very happy and proud of each and every one of them. And I call I called and text a lot of people uh, that was on the show that night and told them how proud I was of them and congratulations on a very successful WrestleMania. Yeah, I mean, whew, great show, obviously, money-wise, too, but just great show for the fans. They they definitely were happy with that show. But you mentioned uh, back surgery. Like, you had a stroke and back surgery. Rough couple yeah. years. Yeah, it was, it was a little rough, man. I think uh, the stroke happened. My blood pressure was sky high. Um, I was always angry. <laughs> I didn't know how to calm down. Family members were telling me, you need to relax. Don't worry about certain things. And, you know, my blood pressure got up. And, you know, I'm not going to say why it was up. But, you know, <laughs> blood pressure was up. People can, you know, uh, predetermine why. But um, I, I basically went through, you know, that stroke and didn't even realize I was having a stroke. Um, it just happened. I was in my hotel room in California. And um, 
I couldn't couldn't walk. And I wow. I, I just thought it was um like sleeping, you know. I had a good night's sleep, so I thought it was because of that. And when I say that, sometimes when you wake up and you go to the bathroom in the middle of the night or something, your legs are not, you know, underneath you sometimes, you know. So you got to shake them out a little bit. That's what I thought it was. And then my wife called me, and that's when she said, I think you're having a stroke. I was like, bullshit. There's no way I'm having a stroke. I'm too young to have a stroke. Apparently, you're not too young. Right, right. <laughs> you, know, you, you could have one. And then that happened. And then I was home for about almost eight months recuperating from that. And then my back started hurt. My legs were hurting real bad. I was getting numbness down the legs. Um, the hamstrings were pulling. I couldn't walk five yards without having to sit down. It was getting bad. I mean, I had dealt with that even when I was in TNA, but not constantly uh, to that effect. And then I came back to WWE, me and Bubba, and I remember there were times where I was stretching and it just didn't seem like it would let up. But I was like, ah, I'm not worried about it. I'll get in the ring, move around, and my body will warm up and I'll be okay. And that's what it was for the first six months uh, when me and Bubba came back. But then the last six months was when I just realized it wasn't going away. Tried to hide it a little bit. In other words, not saying anything to anybody. But last year, I just I couldn't hide it anymore. I had to go, I had to go get checked out. Wow, too young for back surgery too, right? I mean, geez, too young to have back issues. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, you got to think about, you know, 30 years. <laughs> oh, yeah, years. but you've been through a lot, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you're telling a, a normal individual who's never taken a bump, who's never been in a car crash, and when I mean a car crash, every night we're in that ring and we're bumping our bodies on that mat, on the floor, on the outside, even though there's padding, uh, padding on the, on the outside, and also the blows that we're taking – my body's hitting, you know, you, you, our bodies weren't made to do this, you know, not pro wrestling, not basketball, not football, not baseball, not, you know, any of this, we were, you know, made to be on this earth, whatever God intended us to do, but definitely not that stuff. We did it to ourselves. So when, when people say you're too young to have back surgery, nah, not when you've been through what I've been through, especially in ECW. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe I'm wrong because you took so many bumps and crazy bumps at TLC matches and then all the stuff in ECW, all the tables and stuff. So a little bit different. I mean, you guys obviously, you know, pun intended, you took it to the extreme and obviously ended up hurting you in the long run. It did. But if, if people ask me, would you, if you had a chance to go back and change it, would you? And just like when football players are asked that and rugby players and all of that, the more physical uh, sports out there, they say, no, I would never change it. I had good times, good memories up and down the road, um, doing my thing, living a childhood dream that most people, you know, could only fantasize about. You know, not only did I make it to the company that I watched for so many years and idolized, but I actually became one of the greatest tag teams in the history of this business, you know, along with my partner Bubba. So I'm very happy with everything that I've accomplished over the years and what I've done. You know, I wish that the singles run could have been a little better than what it was, but you know, for hell, I mean, TNA, we knocked it out the park. Yep. For sure. Now just curious, and I'll definitely get, obviously get back to the Dudley's one of the greatest tag teams of all time, but what is your current duties? Like what are you doing today with WB? I know you said NXT. Yes. I'm with NXT right now. I'm a coach. Uh, behind the scenes. I'm also a producer. I help put the matches together and things like that. Uh, and I'm actually like there's three titles and I always forget. So coach, producer, and um, I'll think of the third one later. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm just having fun, you know, working with the younger talent and and uh, helping them uh, to carry on the legacy of pro wrestling. And it's great. You got myself, Terry Taylor, uh, Fit Finley, Robbie, um, Robbie Bookside, uh, Norman Smiley, um, and a lot of a lot of the other guys that have moved up from talent uh, to producers. They're backstage. So and Shawn Michaels, of course, and Matt Bloom. And, you know, we're just having a good time and helping these kids get to where they got to be. Are you liking like the where, where the talents at right now? Because right now, Braun Breaker, you got a bunch of guys there that are, uh, you know, could be ready to go to the next level for sure. Absolutely. And I, I hope they don't go anytime, anytime soon, <laughs> because I'm just starting 
to get to know everyone because you know when I was on the main roster producing, um, we didn't have the opportunity to watch NXT because Vince had us so busy. You know, we had emails coming in all the time about the shows, feedback, things like that. So never really had the chance to watch NXT. And when you work as much as we did on the main roster, when you get home, you don't want to watch wrestling no more. You just want to go and be with your family and do what you got to do. You can't live this business 24-7 like we did when we were wrestling. It's no fun. And that's why so many marriages break up when you're in this business, because all you concentrate on is pro wrestling. That's what you're bred to do. That's what you're told that you have to do. And, uh, you know, I never got a chance to watch NXT, but I'm very proud and happy uh, to be a part of this group. And, you know, even the, like the names you mentioned, I mean, it, it's been great, man. I've had a great time. I never thought I would have so much fun, you know, coaching and producing an NXT. Is it to you funny, like, okay, Rick Steiner, one of the greatest tags of all time, like, I get to kind of coach and produce his, his son, who for some reason is, you know, the age he is now. You know I mean, it's like crazy. It's like, wow, how fast life goes by. His son is the champ. Is it like weird to you sometimes? It's like the legendary guy. No, I then, think I, 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 got, no, I got over that when I came back to the main roster and Bubba and I were with uh, the Usos. Right, yeah. You know, we're with, with we're going up and up and down the highways with their dad. When I was doing the Reverend Devon character, I had very, very memorable matches with Rikishi, you know, and even as the Dudley boys, you know, wrestling the Rikishi Haku, you know, the list goes on and on. We've had matches that forget about people talk about to this day. And then the to, to fast forward 20, 25 years later, we come back to the WWE. And I'm in the ring with their sons, the same two little kids that used to come to WrestleManias and Monday Night Raw and SmackDown and all of that. Now, all of a sudden, I'm looking across the ring and they're not little anymore. They're grown ass men that hurt. <laughs> you know, they're not those little yeah. guys anymore that you, you know, play fight with and, you know, come out of it unscathed. Now we're in that ring doing our thing. And I remember telling them one time, I said, can you please not hit me so hard? I said, you know, I'm getting old. I'm getting, I'm an old man now. You guys got to be gentle with me. <laughs> They're like, come on, you're the Dudleys. You guys could take punishment. Come on. Yeah. Listen, you go 25, 30 years, you go 20, well, the first, what, 10, 25 years of taking that punishment, your body can only take so much for so long. You know, and I think that's what people don't get. You know, the body is not what it used to be. So when people go one more match, you know, when they say this at the Hall of Fame and things like that, I don't think people put in perspective how the body feels after doing it for all of those years. You know, I mean, it hurts. It, it's it, you're not moving the way you used to move anymore. You know, and when you're younger, you say, oh, that would never happen to me. I'll stay in shape. I'll continue to do what I'm doing. And then life hits you and then you wake up and realize that ain't the case. Very true. Did you like that run when you guys came back against the Usos and stuff? Because it's almost like the old guard is putting over the new guard. Did you like being in that position? Absolutely. I knew that before getting in. So many people um, downplayed the second run in WWE because we weren't the Dudleys of the Attitude Era. And, you know, even going back, I had conversations with Bubba. Me and Bubba both said we knew the Attitude Era was gone. Uh, you know, APA, all of those guys, they weren't there anymore, you know? So, and even, even at the time, Edge and Christian and the Hardys weren't there anymore when we came back. So we knew what our job was. It was to come in and help out the younger talent, but yet still re stay relevant uh, in mainstream again, you know, become, you know, the team to talk about, but yet helping the younger guys to help put them over. I had no problem with that. I wasn't trying to win 20 more titles. I could care less when I came back if we won the title. That didn't mean anything to me. What meant to me the most was helping out the young guys, keeping this tag team tradition going. That's what it was. That was my thing. But a lot of fans didn't understand that. When they saw us come back, they assumed that we were going to be the Dudleys of old. And you can't do that. You know, you got to pass the torch sometime. Right. I get it was a good era and there were memorable matches and people still talk about it to this day. But sometimes you got to be able to let things go and invite the new things that come in. You know, I made a comment on social media one time. I said, 
the Usos, the New Day, and I think it was Cesaro and Sheamus. I said those. I said that's the new Dudleys, that's the new Edge and Christian, and that's the new Hardys. And I got, <laughs> I got my ass chewed out by so many of the fans. <laughs> They'll never be as good as y'all and this and that and blah, blah, blah. You guys were the best. You guys just said, I said, listen, thank you. I appreciate that. But give these guys a chance. I remember hearing the same things during the Attitude Era. You know, we weren't the Midnight Express, the Rock and Roll Express. We weren't the Road Warriors. You guys can't live up to those guys. You know, you weren't the Heart Foundation. You know, you guys, de demolition or what have you. You know, you guys got to prove yourself to us. And that's what we did. And they let us prove it. And we came out successful. Let the new generation do the same thing. I feel like the Usos, man, they're climbing the ladder. They're with like a help from you guys, you know, established them. Okay, they beat a legendary tag team. In in my eyes, that always helps. Like when Bam Bam came in, ECW put over RVD, put over Shane, put over Taz. Like that always helps elevate the next guy. So I feel like that helped elevate the Usos. And look at them now. I mean, they're they're the kings of the castle of WWE. Exactly. You know, sometimes that you know old line has to get knocked off by that new line. And when that new line comes in, he's going to come in pissing vinegar. And, you know, and, and I, I said, I said, you know, we're the old lions, you know, the body doesn't move as, as well. Uh, the aches and pains are there, but we're no punks and we're no pushovers. We could still go, but we're going to make it look great. Yeah. It just feels like Dudley boys, but like name value wise, always had the name value. So fans are probably expecting like, oh, they're going to be champions again or whatever. Yeah. But that's not the role. That's not what you guys were brought in for. And that's not. And again, like I said, I could care less if I did. Brother, in, in, in my room upstairs and my I call it my game room with all my videos, because I got all my championship belts up there. That's it. That's what I need. That, that shows my accomplishments and appreciation for all the years of blood, sweat and tears that I put into this. And so for me to have another one up there, it's like, for what? We won the titles 24 times. How many more times can we win them? You know, right. before it just becomes, ugh. You know, of course, the first one is special. Then the second one, it's, it's still good because you're still, you know, on that ride from the first one. And then by the, but by the time you get to 10 and 11, it's like, okay, here we go. Another belt I got to put in my bag, carry through TSA, <laughs> and have them pull me aside because they don't know what it is. <laughs> And they got to undo your bag. They got to take the belt, wipe that swab around it to make sure it's nothing funny. And then they go, okay, thank you. Meanwhile, I'm like three minutes away from the door closing at my gate. And you freaking check right. out. don't want to take pictures. I'm like, dude, put the goddamn belt back in my bag and let me go. <laughs> That's great, though, because it's like some of them are fans in TSA. They're like, oh, my God, it's, you know, it's the Dudley boys. I let you the belt. <laughs> And and the, and the great part about it is when the girls do it, it's like, oh my god, you went, oh, that's a real belt. Can I touch it? I'm like, well, listen, I got this arm right here. You can touch and rub too. Yeah, there you, you go. Touch the belt. <laughs> there you go. The history of the Dudley Boys to me is it's like so fascinating because like the way you put together. Obviously, there's the Dudley Boys before you in in ECW, but then when you get put with Bubba, I feel like obviously that's when the Dudley Boys took off. Why? did that team get put together? How did that team get to put together? Obviously it's got to be Heyman at the helm, but what's the, like the, the history of the, of the actual team of you and Bubba Ray? Well, I was at Johnny Rogers school in Gleason's, New York in Brooklyn. And one day Johnny pulled me aside and said, you know, I trained Taz and Tommy dreamer and Alex, which was big Dick Dudley. And uh, who was anybody else in the company at that time? No, he just said those names. And I said, yes. I said, I do know that because I see the pictures on your wall. Right. And he goes, you know, I can make a phone call for you to see if you want to, if they can give you a shot. I said, that'd be great. Thank you. And I remember not really wanting to go because I was scared to death of ECW. I didn't like, you know, barbed wire bats and thumbtacks and fires and tables and chairs were not my thing. I was a traditional say your prayers, eat your vitamins and train and become that little Hulkster that's going to turn into the big Hulkster. That's, that was my wrestling. So when I saw that, I thought it was barbaric. <laughs> I didn't want to do it, but I did know that in order for me to get to the WWE or even have somebody even remotely take a look at me, I probably would have to go through ECW first, and that's what I did. And when Johnny made the phone call, Taz says, well, it's funny that you called because we have – we're looking for a Rastafarian Dudley. 
And I remember Johnny told me that, and I was like, Rastafarian. I was like, and at the time I had hair, but I was, but it was starting to get thin in the middle. <laughs> yep. And I said, um, I was like, I don't know if I can grow my hair to, to, to dreads. I was like, I don't know about that. But then I went down there, had my tryout. Taz told me, it was Taz and Perry Saturn. Taz told me, he goes, we're looking for a Rastafarian Dudley. And again, I had my high top fade, my Bobby Brown high top fade, kidding play. And um, I said, I'm going to be honest with you. I can't, grow, I can't grow dreads. I said, that ain't happening. I said, the middle is very thin and, you know, I'm doing everything I can to keep my hair. He goes, well, don't even worry about that because he said he liked my tryout so much. He was like, we're going to ixnate a Rastafarian. And next thing I know, Paulie asked me, he goes, Who's your, who, who do you think you can emulate or what's your favorite movie? I said, Rocky Three. He said, who's, who's your favorite, Sylvester Stallone? I said, no. I said, Mr. T. He says, can you do Mr. T? I did it for him. He loved it. And then he told me to go home and watch Pulp Fiction, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Jules. And I did that. And um, I just remember him saying, okay, we're going to put together both. Um, Mr. T, along with uh, Samuel L. Jackson from Pulp Fiction, that's where it came from. And I think the intensity and in what I did and when I came in, I think that was what helped me to do what I had to do to get the Dudley boys where they needed to be. And we just clicked. So interesting, like his thought process, though, Paul, like, who, who do you like? You know, I mean, like, it's a lot on you, you know? Yeah. I mean, Rocky Three had always been a huge movie that I watched over a thousand times way before I even got to ECW before Paul asked me that. And I was a huge Mr. T mark. So that was like a no brainer. So I was very happy about that, but it was at the same token, I was nervous and scared. And especially when you put on the spot to do Mr. T and you're hoping everything goes, it was like a trying out for a movie, you know, you're hoping to, you know, to hit, yeah. hit it. and I hit it, I nailed it. I always thought Rocky three was the best. Rocky three, as far as I'm concerned, that was the best Rocky of all time. He's the best heel, like his character, Clubber Lang's the best heel. <laughs> yeah. Hogan, Hulk Hogan is in the movie. I love Hulk. I'm a Hulkamaniac forever. Well, that's so, what pretty much started Hogan on his way. Yes. You know, that's yep. what got him the Thunderlips character. Yep. Mickey's, mean, Mickey's um, dying, you know? Yeah, Mickey died, and that was a blow to me because I didn't think, I was like, oh, shucks, what's going to happen now? How the hell is Rocky going to bounce back from this? But, you know, it's a movie. It's Sylvester Stallone. He's going to put his own twist to it. <laughs> But great comeback story, though, because he loses the first fight and he wins the second one. You know, he does. And he basically squash match in the second, which is uh, but just uh, the turn of his character is awesome because he's a sellout, you know. And then towards the end, he turns right. back into he almost becomes Clubber Lang in, in a sense. So right. Really well, it was funny because um, I am watching this as a kid. I think I was like 10, 10 years old. And I just remember. Um, saying to myself, well, damn, he just lost the first fight. Where do we go from here? You know, yeah. I had no idea there was a lot more left in the movie. I was just puzzled that he lost the first fight. And I thought it was so early that he came back. You know, uh, they, I thought it was so early that they had the first fight. I was like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> if you just give me one second, I'm just going to plug my thing in. I don't want this to go dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. <laughs> All right, there we go. Nice. Sorry about that. Yeah, no problem. So, Rocky Three obviously, is great, but as far as you and your character, they put you with Bubba. What did you think about Bubba? Because you said it was like kind of instant chemistry, but what did you think about him? Did you did you like him as a person? Did you guys get along? Well, yes and no. I mean, Bubba, you know, was a young boy just like I was. And it was like, yes, sir, no, sir, to everybody around us because it was the it was a thing of showing respect. But I never Bubba always wanted to be in a tag team. I never did. I wanted to be the black version of Hulk Hogan. I wanted to go out there and do my own thing. I wasn't opposed of it, but I just wanted to do my own thing. And so, but I knew as a young kid in a company with Atlanta Misfits of ECW, I knew that, you know, him and I got along and um, I was just like, well, maybe, you know, we can help each other out until I can get to where I need to be in terms of single wise, but it didn't work out that way. And uh, we just wound up being a tag team because of the fact that we gelled so well together. The chemistry that him and I had, no one else had ever had amongst the other Dudleys. So, you know, it's always good to wait for that one to come around that you can, you know, be able to have that chemistry with and be able to 
you know, make history. And that that's what it was. So I guess that was the missing puzzle of all. Yeah, definitely. To me, I think it's, it's like not overblown, but people are like, oh, Bubba Ray and Devon really don't get along like behind the scenes. But I talk to Dr. Tom all the time and him and Jimmy Del Rey. Not that they didn't get along. They just didn't party together. They didn't hang out together. That's kind of the same thing I see for you and Bubba. Maybe they don't hang. But he said as soon as they get in the ring together, it's, you know, they're. It was magic. It was magic. Absolutely. Um, I'm not going to say we never hung out or we never went to a bar together. We did. We had some fun together, but we were both two different people. Right. You know, I came from a Christian uh, family. Both my parents were reverends, you know, things like that. He was into the rock and roll, you know, type of lifestyle. And that wasn't me, you know, but that didn't mean that we didn't hang out or or like each other or we didn't get along. We get along. You know, we have a we have differences just like every brother, real brothers out there do. Yep. Um, and sometimes we just need space. You know, sometimes he needs to go his way, I need to go mine. But ultimately, we come back together and we get in that ring together and we never skip a beat. You know, it was like we were never separated. We were never lost. It was, you know, and I think a lot of that was proven during the uh, brand extension uh, when we when did the WWE uh, first um, draft. And, you know, we were, we were apart from each other for six months and then came back Survivor Series and we joined forces together. And then that next match, that next night against Three Minute Warning, I believe it was, we didn't skip a beat. Very cool. You guys came back together in New York, too, when you guys got back together, reformed the team. Hometown. Yep. Yeah. MSG. That was pretty cool. Yeah. So, like, you guys obviously, like, you get along in the ring, like, the chemistry wise. Is that something that you can manufacture or you almost don't know sometimes? Like, for, for instance, Heyman, like, I don't know if these two will work out or. Is it something you guys kind of like manufacture and put together or is it just like happenstance? Like, holy shit, like these guys are awesome together. But you have to understand, we also feuded against each other in the very beginning. Yes, yes, that's true. And so with that in mind, we also knew what each other could do in the ring. We also was fully aware of what we both wanted. So when Bubba went to Paul, because at one point in time, the stuttering gimmick in ECW was over like a million bucks. Bubba was getting over. But then there was a point in time in ECW with the Philadelphia fans where the fans weren't buying it anymore. And it wasn't working for Bubba. And Bubba went to Paul Heyman and said, you know something? I think we may have something with me and Devon together. But not as baby faces, but as heels. Let us go in there and do something with each other. And I guarantee you, you won't regret it. And I, at the time, I was tagging with Axel, Axel Rodden. And yep. unknowns to me, I didn't know that he had some personal stuff that he was dealing with outside of the ring, which affected his career because Axel was a tremendous asset. He was he had a great mind in the business. I mean, he really knew what he was doing. And... I felt very comfortable with Axel, but again, Axel was dealing with things outside that unbeknownst to me, I didn't know about. So it was kind of a thing where I didn't want to let Axel go, but Paulie says, we're going to put you and Bubba together anyway. You know, I remember Bubba asking me and I was like, well, what about Axel? What about Axel? And he was like, I know he was like, but Devon, we got to make money. We got to, we got to make his, we got to do this together. <clears throat> and that's when I was like, okay, I was like, well, let's do it. I mean, I don't have a choice. You know, I just didn't feel, I felt bad about with Axel. But then after Bubba and I got back together, um, Axel wind up joining us for a little bit. Today's episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Our partner has a product I literally use every day. I started using AG1 because I really didn't have the time to work out. I wanted better gut health. I wanted more energy. I want to optimize my immune system. I hate taking pills. I hate taking vitamins. But I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great. I wanted to see what all the hype was about. So I looked into Athletic Greens, and they are a lifestyle-friendly brand. It's whether you eat 
keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. They contain one less gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything, while still tasting good. They support better sleep quality and better recovery. They support mental clarity and alertness. Tons of people take some kind of multivitamin, and it's important to choose one with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. AG1 is a small micro-habit with big benefits. AG1 is one thing you can do every single day to take care of yourself. It costs you less than $3 a day. Think about it. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. It's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself, and you're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance. For each purchase, we will donate organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry here in the U.S., in 2020, AG donated over 1.2 million meals to kids. Right now, to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, it's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you one year free. That is right, folks. One free year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. With you guys, though, to me, the most amazing thing you mentioned, like Philly and the fans and stuff, like, okay, eight-time tag team champs, ECW, that's great, and all the great feuds, but to me is the heat that you guys would get and the riots, and because those fans are some of the smarter fans, you know, as people say, like, you know, the ECW crowd, they kind of would sometimes cheer the heels and stuff like, how'd you guys kind of be able to generate that heat? Because I'm always fascinated because they would cheer some of the guys you would think they would boo. You know what I mean? It's like, how the hell are these guys getting them to riot and kind of having them in the palm of their hands? Well, it's kind of like taking real life. You know, you go into a club, you act like a dick or a jerk and, you know, everybody in the club wants to see you get your ass kicked. Well, that's what we did. You know, we basically went in there. We were those guys in the club that walked in and took the needle off the record, said, you know, made it scratch and turn around and it's us. And like, okay, what are you going to do? You know, what are you going to do about it? And it just started. That's how we just started riots. We just started them, you know, with, you know, us on the mic talking, jumping in people's faces, daring them to jump the railing. And when some of them did, they got their ass whooped. And as time went on, a few shows down the line, it was known that the Dudleys didn't play. Was Paul okay with the the fan interaction, or did he love that? Of course he was. It created controversy, hmm. you know, and it made people talk. And at that particular point in time, no one had ever done that before. You know, you the old days of having real heels, like Freddie Blassie, and all of them back in the day when you read his book and tell you how he had acid thrown on him because he was hated by the fans. They didn't do that, you know, during that time before Bubba and I, they didn't have those type of heels anymore, you know, but Bubba and I brought it to life again. What did you think just overall of the time in ECW? Like, were you thinking like little engine that could, we're going to catch WBF, WCW, or were you just kind of happy where you were, not being the third promotion, but being a big promotion, just not being the big two? We didn't have the money in our backyard, so to speak, like WWE did or WCW. We didn't have that. So we were okay with being a third company. We would have loved to have been the number two company or even a number one, but I think a lot of us knew that that wasn't going to happen. And But we were very happy with being the third company because, listen, so many people <clears throat> can be a third or fourth or fifth company, but how many people can generate the things that we generated during that time? You know, ECW was 
a special place. It was a place where we were politically incorrect and damn proud of it. And I've said this many times, and I just said this online not too long ago. I said, no one can ever deny that ECW did not influence and help to start and generate the Attitude Era. I mean, we were making leaps and bounds of, of, of being recognized without having the big pockets, you know, from a Ted Turner or Vince McMahon, you know, at the time. We didn't have any of that. You know, we didn't have the the fireworks and the pyro and, and, and the big lights. We didn't have any of that. We went out there, busted our ass, and showed the people what we could do. And that worked. For sure. I mean, everybody knew ECW, but like you said, limited budget and everything. You got guys doing multiple jobs, like, you know, Bubba was selling tickets uh, for New York, or, you know, Shane Douglas selling tickets for Pittsburgh, and Taz mm -hmm. is doing merchandise. Did you have, like, a, a secondary job that you were doing? Well, Taz was 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 making the T-shirts. In other words, he was drawing them, doing the designs and stuff. Oh, wow. But myself, Tommy Dreamer, and Little Guido was in the ECW office in White Plains distributing it out to the fans. So what a lot of fans didn't know was when they would call the office and ask, you know, where the hell were their T-shirts or things like that, they had no idea. They were speaking to Devon, Little Guido, and Tommy Dreamer. It was great. <laughs> So, you know, people say, oh, wait, who am I speaking with? Uh, oh, John, you know, J John Smith. Oh, okay, thank you, John. No problem. T-shirts on the way. <laughs> wow, what like a family environment. Like you guys are even answering the damn phones. Absolutely, but nobody knew it was us. Do you love that, though, like part of it? Because it's like you guys are ensconced in. It's not like WWE, like you work there. This is like you're part of, of it, you know? It really is, and you get to speak to the fans. And you got some fans that didn't know who we were, but yet felt the need to tell us how they felt about the product, what they liked, what they didn't like. And it wasn't too many things that they didn't like. You know, it, it, it was, as far as I was concerned, they, they liked it all. Everything that we did in ECW, they liked it all, and I think that's why we were so successful. And again, that slogan, politically incorrect and damn proud of it. You know, that was a slogan that we used for many, many years. We were not going to do what everybody thought we should do. We were going to do what we wanted to do. No different than when Nirvana came in, when you had the hairbands, Motley Crue, and all of that poison in the 80s. And then all of a sudden, grunge comes in, Nirvana comes in and kicks down the door and says, we're here, and you're going to like us. And that was exactly what ECW did. Did you think like when you're like answering the phones and stuff, did you think like, oh man, this person hates the Dudleys or they ripped you like, I'm going to break character. I'm going to tell them it's Devon, tell them the F off. No. Did you ever think about doing that? No, not at all. I mean, no one ever told, no one ever said that, but I wasn't going to do that because that's letting your pride get in the way. You did your job as a heel. So why give them a piece right. of mind when you're out there making them feel that way and we're making them do that. So why? You know, I did my job. So if anybody did come on the phone and say that, I was very happy. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> With the Dudleys, you guys end up leaving, obviously, and go to WWF. Why did you guys leave? Was it like a money issue? Was it just the time to go? Like, why did you guys leave ECW? Well, I think that it was a time to go. Um, Vince had reached out and said, you know, we want the Dudleys. And, you know, um, Paul was obligated in some ways to do it because – at the time, we didn't know, but WWE was kind of helping fund ECW and using us as one of their developmental um, territories. So they were giving us people. We would give whoever they wanted. We'd, we'd send them over there and vice versa. So I think it was one of those where, you know, Paulie was like, well, I got to let you go. And we even told Paulie, we said, just pay us a dollar more. Just pay one dollar more. So that just shows us that you want to keep us. He goes, we can't, I can't do it. I can't compete with their money. And we said, we're not asking you to compete. We just want you to pay us $1 more. Just put in the contract, $1 more, and we'll stay. And he just kept saying, nope, I can't do it. Was it hard to leave, though? I mean, obviously, you're going to get paid more money, but was it hard to leave? Absolutely. You develop friendships. I had been there, what, four and a half, five years. You develop friendship. You become a family. You're not going to see a lot of these people as much as you used to, like you did every week. You know, now it might be every once in a while. So absolutely, it was upsetting when I left. 
when you guys get with WB, it's like they retooled the tag division because for a while it was kind of, you know, it's there, but it's not like where it could be. So as soon as you get infused in there, obviously Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys are a big part of that too. But did you get that impression or did Vince say or did anybody say creatively like, hey, we're going to, you know, hey, pal, we're going to reinfuse the tag division. We're going to, you know, we're going to really no put a lot of effort. Ever, no one ever said that. They, We just kept getting reports. Vince loves you guys. Um, you're doing a great job. Keep up the good work. That's all we got. And, you know, each week, each day that we came into work, we found that we were being putting higher and higher on the totem pole on there, so to speak. And um, we did good. So I think that was satisfaction for us as opposed to be telling, oh, we're going to push you to the moon. We're going to do this and do that. No. Look, people can say whatever they want, but until you see it, it don't mean anything. When people talk to you, like do signings that they meet you, do most people mention ECW or the most people mention the TLC matches? Everybody mentions both. They mention both. What do you think about those just in general, like TLC matches? Because you think about it, like tables, ladders, chairs, okay, this is going to get crazy. But those matches, the spectacle of it, obviously WWE production, I mean, it just, if you just look at it, it's like, holy shit, like this is something we've never, ever seen before, especially in the WWE. Well, I, I like to say, Bubba and I both like to say that they really went extreme when we came up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they took it to a next level. And, um, we were very proud and happy of that. And we felt that we really honestly felt that. So, you know, for them to really, you know, go to that route, I think they were getting there, but I think Bob and I helped push the envelope over the edge for them to get there, especially with those TLC matches. Nobody had ever seen anything like that before. The closest thing they saw was Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania uh, doing the ladder match. And that was impressive in itself. And so what we did, we just took it to the next level, just like everything else in life. You know, like, for instance, I, I like to use the analogy with basketball. First, it was Dr. J. Then it was Michael Jordan. And when you saw Dr. J, which I had the pleasure of seeing him play, um, you never thought that anybody can come over and take his place. You know, because Dr. J, Julius Irving was that good. Who can come and top him off the thing? And then all of a sudden, this you know kid from Carolina, North Carolina College, comes in and just blows it out the water, and then becomes the greatest basketball player of all time. That's right, beating LeBron James, and um, you know you just never thought. And then all of a sudden, Jordan's done. It's like there's no way, there's no one that can take Jordan's place. And then here comes Kobe. Kobe comes around, and you see it. That's the thing. You see it because these two did have confrontations on the court. And when I mean confrontations, I don't mean fight. I mean squaring off, you know, basket for basket or what have you. And Kobe was such a student of the game. He studied Michael. He learned. Michael was there to help Kobe. And sit, and, and I think Jordan said it best. If anybody's going to knock us off, it'll be Kobe. If anybody's going to knock me off, it'll be, it'll be Kobe. And I'm sorry to disappoint some of those LeBron James fans, but he don't hold a candle to, to, to Kobe. And I'm not saying that just because he I passed agree. away. But I'm not saying that just because he passed away. I was saying that before Kobe passed away. LeBron, uh, listen, he's a great player. He's definitely going to be in the, in the NBA Hall of Fame. But he's not Kobe, and he's definitely not Matt, He's not Michael Jordan. I say that, too. I don't know why people skip over Kobe. They always go, oh, Michael and LeBron. You're skipping over Kobe here. Because a lot of them, and you got to understand, just like when they voted the New Day the greatest tag team Oh, God. I was going to ask you about that. Oh, my God. You know, you got to <laughs> understand, every generation says what it says. Now, again, when they voted us to be the greatest tag team in the history of this business, I'm sure people in the 80s were like, bullshit, the Road Warriors, you know, the Midnight yeah, Express, yeah. The Rock and Roll Express, you know. But when you think about everything that we've accomplished, over the years, the titles, every organization we were in, we basically blew it out the water, you know, and we became champions and really helped, you know, scope that tag team division in every federation we went to. So I don't see LeBron James doing that. You know, he won one title in Cleveland and he had he had his help, but he only won one. He couldn't he couldn't do it again where Jordan and Kobe did it back to back. And in Cleveland, 
uh, Kyrie Irving was the point leader, so he scored the most points. So he, he obviously plus the ref, the refs helped him. Remember, Draymond got suspended. I mean, he, mm-hmm. they really were helping LeBron for whatever reason in that series. That was crazy. I was trying, I was trying to think of, of Irving's. I couldn't remember the name. I, I'm seeing him play, but I was like, yeah, he it was he was could LeBron have done it without him? That's the question. And nope. people will say, well, Jordan couldn't have done it without um, with, without Pippen. Or the the group that he had. This is this is somewhat true, but we all saw what happened when he went to go play baseball. You know, it, the the Bulls weren't the same, and the minute he came back, it was like right where they left off. Look at Pippen though; he wasn't that great on the Rockets or the Blazers after Jordan. And no. in '98, people forget Pippen missed like 40 games in '98, and you know they won the title, and he was injured in the finals. He mm-hmm. literally was just a decoy. So people yeah, forget that about Jordan. So Jordan can do it on his own, technically, you know. Absolutely. Now, by the time he got to the Wizards, he was just he was he was too old by that yeah. point. But you saw those glimpses. Remember, he had like that sixty-point game. You're like, "Whoa, shit, he's back!" You know, he's still. I glimpses. remember. I think it was uh, Ron Artest. They they show it on Instagram a lot. Where I think he almost blocked Jordan's shot. And one of the other guys picked it up and ran down the court. Jordan's following him down. As he went up for the layup, Jordan jumps up, grabs it, pins it to the backboard, and brings it back down and throws it out. It was freaking (laughs) hilarious. I mean, you don't have that type of hustle in the NBA anymore. No. I mean, this is the guy who was MVP and defensive player of the year in the same mm-hmm. year. I mean, so he, he played both ends of the floor. He was the best, easily, Absolutely. by far. It's not even close. I don't even know if LeBron is better than Steph Curry. If you look at Steph Curry's resume, Steph Curry may be better than LeBron. Well, Steph Curry shoots three-pointers all day. That's all. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, he ain't driving the ball, and he's too small. I'm not saying he don't drive it, and he does, but the amount of times that Jordan and Kobe and them drove it in there, he ain't driving that ball in there. He's no. too small. They'll eat him up. He had to change the game though, because he's so small. He had to, you know, he had to do it his own way. Absolutely, I, I, I have an argument with my fourteen-year-old son every day. We play NBA Two K, and he kills me with those damn three pointers with Steffi. With Steffi, <laughs> I call him Steffi. He goes, his name ain't Steffi, Dad. I go, it pisses you off, so his name is Steffi. <laughs> yes. Steffi, yes, Kirk. get in his head. Yeah. Tell him to stop shooting those threes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The game has completely changed, though. Like as far as like three pointers and a less defense. I mean, it's just a completely different game than when Jordan was playing. Absolutely. But back to like TLC and stuff. Who actually like sets up the match? Like, do you guys six of you guys get together and like put that together? Because it seems like yep, we all got together a week beforehand, sat in a room, and had a piece of paper and a pen and came up with ideas. Wow. Uh huh. Seems like it'd be like a geometry lesson, like with all those spots and stuff. You know what I mean? Like it's just almost so much going on. It's called telling a story. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. it's no different than when when Arnold Schwarzenegger does the Terminator. You got to write the story to the movie in order for the movie to be successful and have great actors to act it out. And that's exactly how we did it in TLC. It's funny because, like, if you look at it, we hadn't seen it before. So we didn't know what to expect, but it steals the show. I mean, everybody remembers it, right? And everyone says. TLC, TLC, that was match night or whatever. I mean, you guys completely stole the show. Well, you know, we 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 stole the show. We uh, best match of the year for two years in a row, um, and stole the show at WrestleMania twice. So I'm happy with that. <laughs> yeah, it, quite a good thing to to put on the resume for sure. Absolutely. You mentioned the the singles run, like when when the Dudleys break up and the singles run. You weren't happy with Reverend Devon, or you weren't happy with with like the length of, of it, or maybe the push of it. No, I wasn't happy with the push of it. I thought the push could have been a lot better than what it was. Um, you know, like I always said, the people that I went over on John Cena, Randy Orton, yes, they was in their prime, but Mark Henry, Val Venus, and the biggest one of them all, Triple H. Yeah, I don't think Triple H would have ever laid down for me if he thought that character was garbage. You know, I enjoyed it. Hunter enjoyed it. Hunter made a reference that Devon was getting the short end of the stick. Um, I remember uh, Randy telling me that he had conversations with Hunter about it. And Hunter told him, he goes, yeah, Devon is getting the short end of the stick on this uh, push. And I was like, wow, if Hunter's saying that, then I am getting screwed. <laughs> right. And they put Batista with you, obviously, you know, giving, giving him the rub from you. Well, it was always to me. It seemed like it was it was always a destined for me to fail, and I say that because you know here it is. I've been in a tag team for ten years, 
So I wasn't really a singles competitor at that point, even though that was my first love, but I wasn't as singles competitor at that point. So trying to get out of being a tag team wrestler and now doing things as a singles wrestler, that was hard. Now you put Batista, who's never really been on TV, never really been anywhere, never done anything. Now you put him with me and I have to get him over along with myself. That's a hard task. Big time. But they saw something in him, though, right? I mean, he's obviously a gigantic guy. He did well in the OVW. But they must have saw something that were like, all right, Devon will give him the rub. And, I mean, it worked. But I think that he really got where he got was when he got with Evolution. You can't get any better with Flair and Hunter. Yeah. Yep, definitely. Orton obviously got a tremendous help from being Absolutely. That when you look at Reverend Devon, was it just because the family, you know, your parents were reverends? That, like, that's no, exactly Vince where it came wanted, from? Vince wanted, <laughs> it was like an exclamation point on the Catholic Church because, you know, we had people picketing us from the church and all of that everywhere we went because they thought we were too over the edge too much and wasn't good for society. And then not to mention all of these sexual, um, not, not just sexual, but all of these um, bad things were going on with these priests in the church. And it was kind of like, okay, ha ha, I'll make a funny on this. Devon, you're gonna become Reverend Devon. <laughs> and that's what it, that's why I was doing shady things with the box, with the money and all of yep. that. And the next step we wanted to do was let have me try to like seduce women into coming. It was like a cult following, but it never got to that point. Oh, that would have been interesting. A little wrinkle in the character. Exactly. That would have been pretty cool. So Reverend Devon, though, you overall, though, you weren't kind of happy with just where it ended up, like as far as I, I was very happy with the character. I was very happy with what I did during that time. I just wasn't happy that they didn't put the rocket like I thought they should have. Well, if not the rocket, at least give me some mid card status of it. Yeah, I'm always curious. But then, uh, like you mentioned before, then they put the Dudley boys back together and you guys are kind of, you know, on your way again, as far as just being the Dudley boys. Do you think, though, that at that point, Dudley boys sh should have been no more like, or like that's in the past in the rear view. Like it should have just been you as a singles or you were well, okay. I did not want to get back together with Bubba. Cause I remember my last match as Devon or Reverend Devon. I had it with Funaki and I felt that I was just getting into my groove at that point. So I was kind of disappointed. I wanted the singles run to go a little longer. I had nothing to do or nothing against Bubba. I just felt like I just wanted to really, really showcase what I can do. And then I was told, well, after the Funaki match, uh, well, we're going to put you and Bubba back together. And I remember questioning why. Let Look at what happened tonight. Let me continue. Well, the old man wants to put you guys back together. Okay. Nothing I can do at that point. Is that the uh, the end all be all, though, as soon as he says the old man is? Whatever he says, that's it. Yep. I guess maybe it's different now. Maybe uh, Triple H will be a little bit more open to, to ideas and like, oh, maybe we will keep it together, like more flexible than Vince was. Well, you got two different personalities. Vince doesn't budge. Hunter yes. sometimes does and kind of sees your vision. Not saying that Vince doesn't, but, you know, it is what it is. As we hit the, head towards the wind down, we head towards the finish here. You mentioned Hulkamania and Hulk. Did the selling, remember when you used to do the shake and the selling, was that all from the Hulkster or was that, that that's you? Because that seems like that's like a Hogan kind of thing, the, the sell. No, it, was neither, it wasn't Hogan at all. It was Piper. Whoa, okay. It was oh. Piper. It was like Piper used to shake his leg and do all of that. So I just took what Piper did and made it my own. So the way I sold in the ring, the, the people call it the hokey selling, the over dramatic selling. That was all from Roddy Piper. Wow. Okay. I see. I fell right into two. I thought it was like a Hulk tribute almost. No, Hogan did it every once in a while, but Piper did it just about every match he could, especially the shaking of the leg. Especially when, and Hogan did it too when he would you know sell his neck and the leg would shake and this and that. But Piper was the jumping around and doing all of that. Were you a big Hogan guy, though, for real? Like you said, Hulkamania, that's what you wanted to be, the Black Hogan. You were a Hogan I mean, guy? I, I mentioned it in my Hall of Fame speech. You know, a huge Hulkamaniac back then. You couldn't tell me nothing about Hogan. Nothing bad. <laughs> I wouldn't have believed it. I, You know, it was Hogan was my hero. He was my idol. When you guys were inducted in the Hall of Fame, were you just surprised at all to be in the Hall of Fame? Because some guys, it's weird. Like the Steiner brothers were just in last year. You know what I mean? You never know like where they're going or where they're thinking. The only thing I was surprised about was we got in so early. 
Right, right. I didn't think we were going to get early. There was I surprised that we were going into the Hall of Fame? No. I knew eventually that would come, but I just didn't think it would be so early. I, if you ask me, I would have thought we, even to this day, we'd still be waiting <laughs> to get in. That's what I was thinking too. I was like, wow, very early for that. But I mean, that's a, a great honor. Who called you for that? Was that Triple H giving you the call? No, it was Mark Carano. Oh, okay. Yeah, he called. I was in, I was in, was I in India? I think I was in India on a live event. I was in India, live event, and I was in my hotel room. We just got done with the live event show, and I got to my room. As soon as I walked in the room, I went to go to the bathroom. My phone rang. It was Carano. I was like, oh, shit, am I getting fired? <laughs> I was like, what's going on now? And then he says, hey, brother. He's like, you busy? I was like, no, what's up, Mark? And he was like, well, I got some good news for you. I was like, what, you're firing me and giving me a huge severance pay? <laughs> he goes, you can only be so lucky. I said, yeah, you're right. What is it? He said, we want to put you in the hall. We want to put you and Bubba in the Hall of Fame. And I just remember putting the phone down and just, you know, thanking God and like, you know, finally, you know, a dream come true. Everything, you know, not bad for a little small black kid from Brooklyn growing up in the projects when, you know, that would have been unheard of. And I made it. Amazing, like, to, to be able to get in there. I know some people say, oh, it's going to be a whole thing. But that's a huge honor and something for the resume and something even like, let's say, autograph signing and stuff. People love that. That would be a whole thing. You know what I mean? They, they love that. Well, people, well, you know, when it happened, I put the phone down and I started tearing up because, you know, I was like, man, I actually didn't make it. You know, so here we go. And obviously Vince is like the, not end all be all, but he's like the, the person that's like, I want to put this person in. I'm thinking very highly of this person. So mm -hmm. I mean, that, that goes a long way too. Right. I mean, it really does. And I was Like I said, I was honored and happy. Just some quick hitters here. Do you have some favorite matches? I know it's like impossible to say and probably get that all the time, but I love going into YouTube, like after interviewing a guy or even before and, and putting like, you know, Dudley's versus or Devon versus like, for the YouTubers out there, like, would you have some favorite matches that people should go and check out? Well, I think um, the one I'm going to say was Bubba and I versus Axel and Balls Mahoney in Detroit or Chicago. I can't remember which one it was, but when we put him through the flaming table for the first time, the energy during that time was so good. It was, it was incredible. It really was. I think that's definitely one. And if you haven't seen it, which I don't see how you can, if you're a wrestling fan, the TLC matches, you know, all of them. Good stuff. Can't go wrong. Yeah, no. obviously can't go wrong there. What about some like dream matches of matches you didn't have? I always think of like LOD or something, but do you have like well, matches? Yeah, that was the match, LOD. I mean, you know, unfortunately, Hawk had passed away uh, before we could make that happen because he had, they had came back to WWE at that point and wrestled um, Kane and RVD. And then it was only about a month or maybe two months later, we found out Hawk passed away. So that's the one that got away, if you will, the dream match that you guys could have, because I know you wrestled the Steiners, so. Yes, we wrestled the Steiners, we wrestled Hall and Nash. You know, we got all the big ones out the way. And, you know, and then by the time the British Bulldogs was one of my favorites, uh, Davy Boy had passed and Dynamite was in a wheelchair, so that wasn't going to happen. And of course, uh, the Heart Foundation, um, Brett, you know, had suffered the stroke, you know, from the kick in WCW, uh, so which ended his career. And of course, Jim the Anvil wasn't wrestling anymore, he was done at that point. So I knew those dream matches of mine would never have been able to come true, but and I also, you know, felt real bad about LOD. Is there a current team you would want to face, like FTR or something? Because it seems like FTR is copying you with all the the belts in that picture. They did a belt picture. Yeah, they had a like little. It almost looks like yours, kind of. What they're holding, I think it's the IWGP, the the AAA, the Ring of Honor, and the AEW. They're holding all the tag titles. <laughs> Kudos to those guys, man. <laughs> Kudos to those guys. I would have loved to have worked with them. I think we would have made some beautiful music together. I think the Briscoes were definitely one team that got away from us and uh, we could have wrestled them but we were in two different organizations at the time so it didn't happen and when we did finally you know when WWE the second run was over I decided to stay and work as a producer so never got a chance what's next for you what's uh what do you got coming up uh doing what I'm doing now <laughs> you know working with NXT helping the young youth 
and uh, still producing uh, students out of my um, wrestling school in Winter Park, Florida, which is three minutes away from the Performance Center, Devon Deli Academy, which people can go on uh, Devon Deli Academy on Instagram and Devon Deli Academy on Twitter and follow me on uh, Testify Devon on Instagram and, and all of that. So check me out and check out the school. If you want to become a professional wrestler and you want to be learned the right way, come see me. Perfect. Devon, thank you so much for all the time today. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, my brother. Best luck to you and your show. And thank you to all the fans that were there for me during the stroke and the back surgery. All your well wishes and prayers really helped out. I'm back in the gym doing my thing and uh, better than ever. Awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate all the time. Thank you, my friend. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.